When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, welcome back, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. You are not going to be disappointed today, for sure. You've heard the expression, tough act to follow, right? So, for example, in broadcasting, my world, when a longtime super popular anchor steps down, moves on or retires, it's, it's kind of a known thing that their replacement, their first replacement, usually doesn't last long or fails, often through no fault of their own. I mean, think Ann Curry replacing Katie Kirk. And by the way, let me just reveal this. I was Ann Curry's intern and driver at Channel 2 News when she was in local news, and I'm a huge fan. But, you know, it did not go well for her. And for those of you of a certain age, Dan Rather stepping into Walter Cronkite's chair for CBS Evening News. From a ratings viewership approval standpoint, neither reached anywhere near the heights of their predecessors. It's hard. In the entertainment world, forget it. Replacing a star is even harder. The scrutiny, the critics. I mean, remember when Steve Perry, the lead singer of Journey, with that iconic high-octave voice and millions of fans around the world, left the band 1998 after a crippling hip injury? I mean, no one in their right mind would try to replace someone like that. You may as well feed yourself to the lions. Despite severe anxiety and nerves, my guest today decided he was going to be the guy to walk right into the Coliseum, face the lions, and yes, tame them by using one weapon, his voice. One problem. He was a maintenance man at The Gap. And the last time he really sang outside of the shower was a year earlier in a band very few had heard of. But Steve Ogieri mustered up the guts and courage and did what very few people on planet Earth might do. But quite frankly, should. He stood up, he auditioned, and he won the spot as lead singer of one of the biggest super groups on Earth, Journey. Steve Ogieri is my guest today. Steve, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Wow, Liz. Um, thank you so much for a beautiful you know, send up and, and build up. Hey, everybody, how you all doing? My name is Steve. I'm coming to you from Staten Island, New York. I mean, am I right? No one in their right mind would do the old tough act to follow? Honestly. And uh, to, to it's a very long story. To put it mildly, I had a couple of people in my corner um, that, um, that believed in me more than I believed in myself. Mm. And it's simple as that. It was a brother-in-law and a dear friend. And uh, I could get into that. One, one uh, put up the money for me to fly to California, and the other one, after asking me to put a, a tape together to send off to the guys in Journey, after a week went by and I, they called me and they said, Where, well, where's the music? Where's the tape? And I, I told them that I thought they were crazy and it was was a bad idea and thank you for you know but it's, it's it's not in the stars so they put this tape together and they sent it off to to neil uh and put it in his hand and neil and of they, course mr the, neil sean yeah the driver behind journey right sure guitarist phenomenal melodic guitarist uh that everybody 
loves. Well, so this is fascinating to me, and and we'll get deeper into the progression of how this all came to pass. But see, now I didn't know that they called, asked, and you said, this is stupid, I'm not going to do it. Because, you know, a lot of very successful people in life have needed what you got, and that is people around you saying, oh, screw it, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to help you do it. That I want to get deeper into that. That's really interesting to me because this is truly one of the best stories ever because it checks so many boxes, Steve. It's amazing. It's nerve-wracking. It's thrilling. It's gut-churning. And it's got a local hero at the center of it. So you grew up in, in Brooklyn. When did you realize you could really sing? Well, um, as a child, I kind of gravitated. After seeing the Beatles, I, I might have been as young as five years old or so. Um, and myself in probably half the country, <laughs> so inspired to, you know, to tug on their mom and dad's, you know, dress or, or pants and say, daddy, buy me, mommy, buy me a guitar or a, a drum set. I want to do that. Mm. And that's exactly what I, I wanted to do. Of course, I'm five years old, and then I ran back to, you know, my Tinker Toys or whatever we were playing back back then, my baseball mat or, you know. Um, but the years went by, and at age 15, um, you know, I, I made a conscious decision that I was going to go for it. But in between that, you know, my dad, there was music always at the, that's always the case. There's always music in the household. Dad was, my dad and my uncle were probably the only two Italian Americans listening to country western music in Brooklyn, New York. I mean, it, and I and I attribute to my my wonderful uncle who bought me my first guitar, fifteen dollars in the Sears Roebuck catalog. Uh, he was in World War II and he went to and from Europe, um, bringing supplies back and forth to the troops. And in a, in a crap game, he won a guitar, and inside the guitar case was a Hank Williams songbook oh, and country. so fast forward many years later he's had a son of his own and i'm his nephew uh every sunday we would gather around in his living room he would take out his guitar that he won in the crap game and he'd we'd get our uh 15 sears roebuck catalog guitars and he'd put he'd slap a bottle of whiskey on the table <laughs> and he'd proceed to drink and go through the songbook. So we'd went, we'd learn jambalaya, and we'd lo- learn cheating your cheating heart, et cetera, et cetera. And so after the Beatles, it was Hank Williams. And again, as strange as that seems, country western was not. Everybody was listening to this. Put it this way: uh, Edie Gourmet, Stephen Edie, oh, and sure. they were listening to Frank Sinatra. Frank, you know, yeah, and of course, you know. And growing up Italian in in Brooklyn, those are you know uh, next to the Pope, you have the, uh, <laughs> the velvet painting of Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Stop. No, it's you're killing. That's, I mean, that's beautiful. You know, that was you know beautiful little um, memories from childhood. You know, sure, from the sure. neighborhood. Yeah, that that is just I mean, I can see that I can see your living room with everybody around sort of picking through the strings and and finding their way and self-teaching in a way, it sounds like. Yeah, it was only three chords, which was perfect because rock and roll, uh, you know, majority of the great rock and roll songs were only three chords. And, uh, you know, we were only let's see, we were six or seven at the time. And we can, you know, we were learning as we went and. uh and he was the he was the catalyst. He was mm. he was there at the beginning. He started this 
progression that went on to uh, going to grammar school again in um, in New York City. We had wonderful uh, musical programs, and there was money and funding in the arts. And uh, they put clarinets and they put recorders and and things like that in uh, in our hands. Mm. Um, from the recorder went to a clarinet and saxophone them soon. And there was a wonderful teacher in PS48 in Bensonhurst. His name was Frederick Torgrosa. And he saw a spark in a kid and a little, uh, you know, uh, you know, just a possibility in a young child. And he Aww. taught me how to sing phonetically, how to sing Puccini's uh, aria, uh, La, La Donne Mobile. And he thrust me onto a stage uh, in fifth grade assembly you know and I, and he accompanied me on piano and uh it was from there that i guess it really kind of started my little mini career my amateur career in singing oh my gosh this is important because a lot of people say oh there was that one teacher who believed in me and and uh, you're also touching something that's very very important in my heart and that is teaching music in public schools we can't let that go and it's often yeah. the first to go when it comes to budget cuts. Well, like when they say the same uh, is true about sports. If you have a well-rounded curriculum, mm -hmm. you know, just you walk, you grow up a well-rounded person. I can only, it it just, you know, one kind of feeds off the other. And if, if you, you know, uh, activate your creativity on the left side of your brain, the right side of your brain, uh, you know, yes. follows and vice versa, perhaps. Tell me about your first band. How old were you? Oh, we so in the same grammar school, uh, there was a snare drum involved. Um, <laughs> there was uh, two notes on a guitar, and the song was called Busted Bad. It was, you know, a couple of kids trying to emulate uh, their, uh, their early heroes, the Beatles, perhaps. And, um, yeah, it was with uh, Michael D'Angelo and Paul Clemente. I remember the fellas. Oh, good buddy. So... Uh, elementary school still oh yeah 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 and then on you know then we we graduated uh on to middle school you know uh shallow junior high school uh 227 and um you know kid uh i there was a music program and uh that's where i started playing saxophone and and i and i uh caught the eye and attention of another great uh educator his name was ron schaefer and he has a wonderful camp by the name of Frenchwood's Festival of the Performing Arts. And Ron uh, took a handful of us kids, and uh, we worked at his summer camp first as as uh, students. We'd get um, uh, we'd get a free ride to go to camp. And then as soon as we were old enough to work, we worked in the kitchen and we worked in the laundry. And in the last year I was with them, I, I started something called The Rock Shop. And you guys are probably familiar with uh, School of Rock, the oh, yeah. wonderful movie. That, by the way, was... Filmed here in Staten Island. That's right. If you know that, and um, and that was kind of uh, before its time. We we were doing that back then, and I was taking care of kids six to sixteen. And if you've ever worked with kids, uh, now I'm I'm a child myself. I'm eighteen, and I'm working with with kids from six to sixteen all day long. Not ready for it mentally. I almost had a nervous breakdown. I think they found me. <laughs> I was old enough to drink, and I think I stole someone's car, and I drove into the town. They found me at the bar drinking a couple of beers because it was rough. 
I didn't have my parents' skills together just quite. L- let yet. me tell you, it's rough at thirty-five too. Um, okay, Honest, been there. All right. So, it, so as the progression of your music life and your music career goes on, you got as far as being, as I understand, a part of the opening act for Ted Nugent, but they kept you hidden. So th- this was an early chance, and they needed someone to sing their high harmonies, their hard high vocals. And back in the day, hard rock bands or heavy metal bands, you didn't have a background vocalist sitting on the side or standing on the side shaking his, you know, moneymaker. Right. So uh, you just put them, and, and nowadays it's on a hard drive, you know, it's on a computer. But back in the day, they would bring you behind the amplifiers and you'd sing. And nobody was the wiser, and it, and it and it and it it happened all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with it. It just looked weird if you were on stage with these guys. So I would be behind stacks of amplifiers, and I would be in a hallway, or I'd be in a, you know, just, I don't know, storage room or something like that. <laughs> um, and here's the beauty part of it. Um, so we were we were in about a month or so into this tour, and uh, Ted Nugent picks us up, and and we're in the middle of a set. Uh, this is Michael Schenker, by the way, who played with you. Oh, UFO, British! Oh my God, uh, loved him. Yeah. Oh, one of the greatest guitar players. If you if you know of him, you know he's just hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. So uh, so I hear uh, so I'm behind these stacks of amps, and there's a big curtain as well, and we're in an arena, and I I have feel this presence, and I think someone's behind me, and he's actually looming over me i turn around and it, of course it's ted ted mm-hmm. nugent and he is he's got to be a foot and a half taller than i um and he just puts his hand on my shoulder pats me on the back and he says steve someday that's going to be you don't worry you're going to be on the other side of the curtains Aww. and the other side of the amplifiers and you must understand how important that that was to me to get that little you know, boost of confidence and things like that stay with you. And when you, you know, when you're, when things are down and things get a little dark, remember Ted or remember Mr. Terry Grosser who, you know, who put you up there in, in, in grammar school and, and on and on and on. And who believed in you. So thank you, you know, Ted. And to this day, thank you, Ted. Oh, amazing. We like our listeners to really understand, though, that it's rarely, Steve, a straight path to the top. You ended up cutting an album in the early 90s with a band called Tall Stories, right? Which was a traditional, very hard rock band. But for those of you who were around in the 90s, 1991, just as you were about to release it, grunge rock takes off like wildfire. I mean, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, that derailed you temporarily, right? Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Uh, so long story short, we were a little different and had our record got shelved a year before it was actually released. And I think if we just had that one year earlier, it mm. would have made the world a difference, mm-hmm. I think, you know, perhaps. Um, but as it turned out, our record, Tall Stories, was released on the exact same label and release day as Pearl Jam. Oh, Enough said. Okay. So between Nirvana and Pearl Jam, the writing was on the wall and thing, you know, we just fell by the wayside and it's just the way it goes. Where does maintenance man for the gap start to come in? So when when push came came to shove, I had a child and a and a wife, my wife Lydia and my son Adam, and I had to put uh, I had to put a meals, I had to put food on the table and a roof over our head. And so it was time for Steve to grow up and, you know, be a responsible adult and a responsible human being. 
So I did exactly that. Uh, uh, my relative, uh, my cousin Val, who was in, high up in their uh, administration, she brought me in. And uh, I was, you know, uh, I remember my first day, I was on Fifth Avenue on a ladder uh, during rush hour in the morning, uh, hanging a sign or repairing a sign. And I was thinking to myself, Jesus, this is where I am. This is where, this is... Uh, what a you know, time can, However... I was. I enjoyed every moment of it. I was back on the subway. I was, you know, there was there was life. If you ever, if anybody's listening to this outside of New York City, the city is just electric. It's mm. alive, and I felt alive again being around all these people. It wasn't with a stage on a stage, and it wasn't with a microphone. <laughs> it was up in a ladder, surrounded by masses of people going to and from work. So you're fixing light bulbs. You're tinkering with what it. other I'm needs. Loving it. Loving, loving it. Digging it. I'm the gap, it. gap stores. Right, thirty stores. They had uh, two or three managers. I was one of three, and uh, each day we'd go to one store, from one store to the next, and the next, and the next. And they said, "Well, you know, I need a new light bulb here, or, or I need a new toilet bowl seat here, and I need you to paint this here." And you know, it was always something different. And there was a new store every day, and you dealt with new managers and new. You know, it was it was just a change of pace, a welcome change of pace. Sounds crazy, but it's true. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're a guy who who had loved singing, but made peace with the fact that the dream of rocking out on the big stage probably wouldn't be happening in this life. And out of the blue, you get a call. Who Correct. was it and what did they say? So I received a phone call from, uh, and I don't ever recall which was, it was either Jonathan Cain, their piano player, or Neil Sean, the guitarist. However, they called back to back and each conversation, I kind of kept it in check because I thought somebody was pranking me. I thought, this is not for real. You know, somebody's having a great gag. What a great gag, right? Right, right. So I, after I hung up with a second phone call, one of the two gentlemen, um, I got, received the third phone call from the fella who made it all happen, Joe Cefalu from, from Brooklyn, New York, an amazing guitar player in his own right. Um. He said, Steve, sit down, because I've got to tell you something. He said, uh, I've, your life is about to change, as we know it. You're going to put together... Well, by the way, um, I think this is after. I'm not sure if, if the tape came before or after. must have come before. So they wanted me to come out and, and uh, audition. And uh, he said, uh, 
just take a minute, prepare yourself, your life. You can say goodbye to your old life. Your new life is going to happen. Oh, my God. So uh, I begged John and, and Neil to give me two two weeks to prepare. And they said? Well, I hadn't sang in a year and the, there's no voice. It's like a it's like a runner or a Olympia, uh, you know, weightlifter. He loses all his atrophy. It's, there's no muscle there anymore. So they agreed to that. And uh, for two weeks, I worked hard and I tried to muster up the sound. I mean, it was it was weak at best. But I get to California. I get to the Bay Area, beautiful uh, up up in Marin County. And um, for five days, I recorded five journey hits, massive hits, and then per day also a brand new song. So we recorded 10 songs in five days. Mm. And the first day was pretty rocky. I'm going to be honest with you. It was okay. shaky. However, by the fifth day, and I'm thinking, they're thinking, oh, this is this was a bad idea. This, did, this is not going to work out. <laughs> but But by the fifth day, things fell into place. The gears, you know, clicked everything kind of clicked and fell into place and the voice appeared that i had always had before thank god and oh um, god. and so that's how it kind of came to be and i remember walking i had one foot out the door of the studio and i remember this and i and i and i turned around and i said hey listen guys I, I, this is true i just want to let you know something you if this never happens if i don't if i don't past the audition, the one thing I could tell you is this. You've given me the joy of singing back. And I'm gonna go back home and I'm gonna and I'm gonna resurrect what little career I had and I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna do this again. This is what I'm thank you for that. As well as I'm gonna have a great story to tell my grandchildren. Amen. Yes. So I said, however, there is one little itty bitty thing I, I wonder if you could let me do. I said, there's one song that is very special to me. Uh, and now this is a gambler throwing the dice and he could, now Ryan, he's, he's standing there amongst all these chips. Right, Cause you right? had just done pretty well. Right. And I'm throwing, I'm, I could I'm about to throw it all away. I said, can I please just sing open arms? Mm. And it could have certainly absolutely could have went one way or the other. And I think that may have clinched it because <gasps> th I think that was pretty much the what did it for me. It put, put me over the edge. And so I'm not a gambling man, never have been. And that was the one gamble that sort of paid off, I suppose. You got, Listen, sometimes it's as if you only have one opportunity to make a great first impression. And that was your shot. And you figured damn, let me just throw caution to the wind and do it. Well, that was it. So they want you, but it's not 1,000%. You, you know, you're still kind of in that phase of let's try this guy out. And they decided to have, as I understand it, a friends and family concert, June 9th, 1998, Marin Veterans Memorial Stadium in San Rafael, California. And you step on the stage as the lead singer of Journey replacing Steve Perry. What Correct. is going through your mind before you walked out into the lights? So here we are in a historical building, possibly going to make some history. And uh, I'm backstage and I'm a, well, a wreck. Yeah, I, I, the nerves are there. <laughs> and uh, so I have to say, I got a little nervous and there was a, there was a, uh, a, 
garbage receptacle and I happened to, you know, um, I think they say up, up Chuck Norris. You yacked? I yacked. <laughs> Ever so briefly. Oh. It wasn't, it was nothing. It was, you know, it was a minor yak. But you were nervous as hell. But I yacked nonetheless. <laughs> and I got my nerve and I shook it off, brushed my teeth and I went on stage for the first song and I'm into 20 seconds into separate ways. And about 20 rows out, I lock eyes with my wife, Lydia, and my son, Adam. And that's when the waterworks start oh. happening. So I'm in the middle of the first of two, one or two lines into the song. And this I can't forget because it was a, it was there's such a joy and a happiness that I'm, I'm looking at them, looking at me, thinking, is this really happening? And uh, that was, you know, that's better than the yak story. Well, let me just say, I listened to that concert. I went online and it's there. Everybody should listen because, oh, my mm. God, think about that. You're standing up on stage in America about to take over for a guy who was hugely globally popular. In, in fact, so I noted one of the comments you made to the crowd, and it was so sweet, Steve. You said, bear with me. You know I'm a little nervous, which I thought was was really touching. But then... You know, my favorite Journey song is Lights. Well, there are two of them, but I really like Lights. You know, when the lights go down in the city. I was amazed at how good you were. It wasn't like I was listening to a Steve Perry imitator. It was similar, but you gave me chills. When you sang Open Arms, it was pitch perfect, especially that line, so here I am with Open Arms. That You had a little growl which I love, that wasn't Steve Perry-esque. You know, which I thank, by the way, thank you. Um, if you go out there and be as genuine and true to yourself, that's when that's when you're going to reach your full potential. And and your audience will not only appreciate it, they'll, they'll uh, react to it. Mm -hmm. They'll, you know, they'll connect more if you are going to be true to yourself you're going to break through barriers that you would have never broken through before, because um, because the finest uh, the finest singers that I've loved have always been a little different. And people, you know, if you go out there and just sound like Steve Perry, well, then there's a lot of guys out there that could sound like Steve, and they are wonderful singers, and they can sing me probably around the table and under the table and all that. Uh, but um, you're never going to be as happy and content unless you're yourself. And that took a while to learn, but I did learn it during my my years with Journey. And it paid off. Absolutely. Uh, and then the song Remember Me, that range that's required of that song, it's really hard to maintain that range, isn't it? Yeah. And I know where this is going because, <laughs> yeah, as a young man, it's funny, I, you used to go out, I used to go out and sing once a week. And uh, I'd give it 300%. And some, from beginning to end of the night, by the end of the night, and, and, and I, I used to consider it uh, uh, like a scrapper and a brawler. I'd go out there and I'd just blaze. And by the end of the night, there was no voice left. It was, you can hardly speak. But you'd repair it. You'd have seven days, six days to repair it and go out and do it the next Saturday night, you know. So when it, when it came time to sing with, you know, world-class band like journey you have to be professional so i i went from the minors 
you know, in, in 60 seconds, they threw me into the, the deep end of, of the pool. And I had to learn how to sing like a professional. So, uh, like again, like I said, I, I also saw a wonderful teacher in, in Hollywood by the name of Joel Hewing. And he really was a master. And he taught me, uh, gave me my first most important lessons to get from that amateur to professional. And uh, because there's no way to sustain five nights a week. No way. Hour, no way. Hour and a half a night. And so, however, that youthful high voice, clear as a bell, as the years progress and go by, you get a little bit grainy and a little bit more gritty. And it gets a little bit more, it takes a little more extra time to warm up the voice and get it to where it's supposed to be. I know, you know, I don't know if you saw the documentary, the two-hour Showtime documentary on the Eagles, but there is a scene in there where Randy Meisner, who wrote and sang Take It to the Limit, decides he doesn't want to get up on stage at a certain concert and do it because he was worried he couldn't hit the high note anymore. You probably could relate, right? So after years... And years of doing this, it's a. It turns out to be a, It becomes a psychological. Um, it gets a little dark, and if you don't know how to uh, amuse yourself, you know. Mm -hmm. Thank God for a bicycle that I bought along the way, and I brought along each and every tour. Um, that kept my my head together, but it gets a little. Uh, it gets a little rough out there because you're alone. You leave your family behind. That. That was a sacrifice because you don't get those hours and days and years back. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> when did you realize that your vocal cords were starting to give out, fray, whatever you want to call it? Well, there's the usual, the usual uh, wear and tear that's expected. And what we should have done was been a little more conscious of it. Me, personally, I should have open my mouth and put my foot down more times than I didn't. But I was the new kid in the band and I was, you know, it, it just, no matter if and when I did speak up, it was, it was just not heard mm -hmm. to be frank with you, to be honest with you. Um, so uh, it started to uh, just build up a long time. You know, you just started, start digging yourself into a hole uh, without having the uh, a little a day or two more to recover, and then one year, uh, and as this is as rough as it got, we um, we did a show in in uh, New Mexico, and uh, I picked up some kind of bug, some kind of virus. When I went home, uh, I found myself. Oh, well, my wife reminded me today that we were a block away from a hospital and I was waiting for her to bring the groceries out. And she remembered I'd called her and said, honey, I'm going to drive over to the emergency room. I think I'm having a heart attack. And I, I literally drove as slowly as I could because I didn't want to pass out or, you know, mm -hmm. you know, put a couple of dents in a few cars here and there at the very least. And I drove myself to the emergency room and I, and I told them, I, I think I'm having a heart attack. And they they hooked me up to all this wires and this, that, and the other thing. My wife ran over and she noticed that I had a fever. And so, long, you know, I, I, I don't like to go down this road, this negative trip, this story, but I'm going to tell it to you. You could either cut it out or not. No, but, go for uh, it. it. 
it appears I had contracted some kind of uh, very rare pneumonia. Uh, it was some kind of Coxsackie virus. Something along that line. Right. But, but it was some kind of very, again, a very extremely rare germ. Okay. And they, they weren't aware of this at the time. So, um, so they pound me. And then one morning I try to get up out of bed and I can't move. I mean, I'm literally paralyzed. And I'm thinking, uh, I mean, WTH, <laughs> what has happened? And uh, I'm, I'm literally paralyzed. And we're supposed to go to Chile for the very first time in a couple of days. And I'm on the phone with the guys. I'm saying, listen, not only can I not, I, I can't get out of bed, forget about singing. I can't get out of bed. But that was the beginning of something that's actually stayed with me. It's a kind of a chronic, oh, to this day, you know, my neck, the ankle will go out, the knee will go out, uh, the shoulders will go out. So it's, it affects the ligaments. It's weakened the ligaments. And so I think twice before I pick up, uh, you know, a suitcase, when on my way out the door, let alone jump around on a on a stage like you still see Mick Jagger, yeah. oh, God Roger bless. Daltrey, people like yeah. that still up there doing it. Tell How us about Mick. Come on. Oh, I know. I, I know. I know. He's, a, he's amazing. Fabulous. All of them. It's I mean, I, I always say 80 is the new 40. <laughs> you know, <laughs> really he is. Well, I don't know about that, but I can definitely tell you. It's 20, 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I'm 64. I could, I don't feel so terrible, even with these, you know, these joint issues. But, but I got over it. However, it was the beginning of the end. It's things started spiraling mm -hmm. after that. Because once your body, your health is uh, uh, compromised, the voice is the first thing to go with it. So uh, it came to the point where we started a huge tour with Def Leppard and the band uh, I, now I'm not, I don't recall if the soprano thing had happened just yet but the band w was picking up steam and uh, as a metaphor we this was this big old steam engine and it was going and I just couldn't keep up with it I physically I it, I just couldn't do it and the guys knew it and it was uh, we did a couple maybe five or six shows into the tour and we just figured okay it was it was a rough day. I'll give you that. Oh, I'm sure it was heartbreaking. I'm sure it was yeah, heartbreaking. Right. And yet today, fast forward, you're singing again. Tell us what you're doing. Well, again, that last day, once we figured, okay, that's it. I have to tell you, it was a huge relief. I had a sigh of relief. I walked away and say, okay, let's see if we can't put this this little voice back together, and. Um, and give it the time and the attention that it should have had even years prior to that. So um, that's exactly what I did. I went down uh, to uh, Nashville has a fabulous doctor, Cleveland, in um, their Vanderbilt University Hospital. And he gave me the most simplest exercise to put this voice back together. <clears throat> and uh, it started out crawling. And uh, he said, well, listen, he, he handed me a guitar and he said, listen, um, just pick any old song, a song that you love to sing. Because at this point, now I'm now I'm a frightened, uh, I'm a deer in the headlights, mm -hmm. right? I'm scared. I don't want to sing again. I don't want to go on stage again. 
but he hands me a guitar and I think it would belong to some like Trisha Yearwood or something like that. Some really amazing, fabulous, successful country artist who gave it to him as a gift. He said, just think of any song that you really enjoy singing. And so I did. I picked it up. And the first song that came to mind was uh, Reason to Believe by one of my early heroes, Rod Stewart. Mm, sure. And that was the first song to get me back on track, to get me back to where I wanted to be or where I, I think I should be. And that's singing again in front of folks and, and on stage. And This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. And uh, where can people see you today, Steve? Well, this this summer is going to be special because... Mr. Brett Michaels, uh, I received a phone call from him, and he invited me to do his um, incredible uh, party gras 2023 uh, tour with Mark McGrath, of course, Brett Michaels and his band, with um, Night Ranger and uh, Jefferson Starship. <laughs> oh, my God. So- so it's going to be amazing. Going to be a great ride. They're going to be great. It's going to be great music, great personalities. Mark and the ultimate is Brett Michaels. There's, there's, I don't think there's. Uh, after James Brown, I think this is the entertainer of the century. We will be cheering you on. I am so happy for you, and I am honored to to meet you and hopefully to introduce you to our listeners who need to hear that there are a lot of stumbling blocks along the road to success. It's always it's always a winding road. It's not a straight one, is it? No. Uh, I could tell you one of my stumbling blocks that I probably should have addressed a lot sooner and uh, sadly, I, I, I came from a, a one-parent fam uh, household. My mom raised me because my dad drank a little bit too much, and they divorced when I was eight years old. And um, however, the, uh, 
you know, that left an impression on me. And it, I thought I was supposed to grow up and drink just like dad did. And just like all his peers and all my aunts and uncles. And, uh, you know, this was in the 60s and everybody drank. You know, you came home and it, the martini was waiting for you, etc. And, of course, the Rat Pack, where would they be if they didn't have a, a glass of scotch in there, a tumbler of scotch in their hand? Hmm. So um, I realized after my years with Journey that if I'm going to sustain and if I'm going to get healthy, as healthy as I possibly could, I'm going to have to uh, put the bottle away. And so I've, I've uh, you know, I've probably drank my share throughout the years. And uh, I can tell you eight years ago, I made a decision when my dad passed away to alcoholic related hand and alcohol. Mm, sorry. At 56, thank you. Um, I said, well, at 56, I'm going to make his death won't be in vain. I'm going to stop drinking. So that's exactly what I did. And I can tell you guys who have ever, and gals who've never, or if you had a problem or it's the new black, all of a sudden, you know, it was one, it was, it was like a fog had uh, lifted and uh, the haze had lifted and it was like, it was like being reborn. So that was a pretty good thing. And I wish I had done it sooner because sure, maybe sure. my big break at 38 might've happened at 28 or at 18 instead. But at 38, by the way, if you're singing and you st or acting or doing anything, 38's when it happened for me. So don't give up early. You know, it oh, still can happen. Steve, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I, I'm going to go listen to that concert again. From hey, I got a better idea. May I? I'd like to make a suggestion. Please take a look and give a listen to my brand new album, Seven Ways Till Sunday. That Absolutely. Just released. Uh, I think there's a little something for everybody. And I, more than anything, I, I hope you enjoy the new music. Seven Ways Till Sunday. I've enjoyed you and your story. I appreciate you. And vice versa. Thank you so much, Liz. Oh, Truly. Steve, wonderful. Thank you. You guys, I hope that you heard that moment where he didn't believe in himself to go audition to be the lead singer of Journey, replacing Steve Perry, and yet he walked in there and he crushed it. This is something we all have to take and, and feed upon and realize, go for it. You got one life. Take that swipe at the brass ring and grab it. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will see you next time. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.